Not been two weeks from shore when down on her a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale in tow. Ha! Soon may the wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. So let's lay the groundwork for our conversation today for a minute. <clears throat> so right now it feels as if uh, the political landscape is very very polarized uh like it doesn't only feel that way like it is it is that way and so would you say worse than ever in your yes uh, 200 year lifespan yes in my 31 years definitely Uh, i would say it is worse than ever um you have like people on one side saying you know basically trump is the epitome of evil look at all the terrible things he's done in his past you have biden uh the the people who are against biden saying well he can't even keep a thought straight and he's he's losing his i mean and then you've got the extremes of like outside of politics with like wear a mask don't wear a mask everything is politicized like down to down to the mask you wear. That is a political statement you are making. I mean, just the the things that seem like they should be separated or not correlated to politics are completely correlated to politics. Say, say what your post was. So my, my post was uh, I'm conducting a survey and uh, what would you say are the characteristics of Trump supporters? And obviously, <laughs> it's funny. everybody responded in different ways. Some of them very extreme and uninformed. Yeah, it's, some, it's a lot of them. Were, some people were like, "It's it's uh, you know, a Trump supporter is definitely someone who is completely uninformed and has been conned by uh, wonderful propaganda and is just kind of a moron, uh, but thinks that they're doing what's good for the world, but really they're Satan." <laughs> it's like it it falls straight into what we've what we're seeing now, which is. And my dad said it this weekend, right? I can't tell you how many times, and this phrase never existed until the last couple of years. It's been a brilliant piece of right-wing propaganda that liberals are destroying or trying to destroy the country, right? Take that as, at like, take a step back. It's like, wait a second. Liberals live here too. You think they want to destroy and light on fire all the buildings that they live in? and society and the community you think they want to destroy their own community but yet like that is everywhere now i feel like it's more to do with like destroying what has been a long-held belief about the country so like destroying the country as some people know it and want it to remain i think would be more i I think it's less about physically destroying the country no i agree i think that every single person has moved that has moved to elk ridge in the last five years, essentially a week before, a week after I moved in, I think anybody else new to Elk Ridge is destroying the city. Because I, I used to be able to look down and see a whole bunch of deer and elk roaming on the mountain, and now all these people are destroying it, right? That's the, the natural progression is, is that if people have, on average, more than two children and the population grows, life has to change and there's some people who are not okay with that um but that's just kind of a a reality of the world that we live in like it it just can't stay the same so let me let me give a contrarian perspective here because we just asked is it worse than it's ever been that was like one of our first questions in regards to political polarization in regards to political polarization i would say um yes in our lifetime for sure However, if we were like back in the time of like civil rights movement, would we say the same thing? Or if we even push back further and like you've got Hamilton getting shot by the vice president. You know what I mean? Like like there was literally one member of a political party murdering another member of a political party. Like that's like that's pretty intense in terms of polarization. So yeah, well, do you feel like though, it, and I'm getting to something here. Do you feel like it's because we can communicate so quickly 
in our time that we can polarize very, very fast. So like the movement of information, someone can write a really left-wing article and it can go viral and everyone's gonna see it that really supports the left. And then a person on the right can also write a, vi a very viral and vicious, you know, compelling argument for the right and that can go viral. And so both sides are seeing an extreme viewpoint that has very sound logic written into it. You know what I'm saying? Like I can read an article from someone on the left and be like, that is, that is sound logic, I can understand that. I can also read someone on the right and be like, that has some sound logic, I like that. You know what I mean? So it just, it, I don't know. I feel like the movement of information so quick that it just absolutely sets us on one side or the other so, like, so much quicker than it has in the past. I know the answer. Do you want me to? Let's, yeah. let's so the question again is, how did, how did we become so polarized? Are we more polarized now than we've ever been in the past? And you know, there's some there's some good data on on this, right? And and exactly why it happened. I think this data has been collected since like the 60s or 70s. There's a study actually that just came out of Northwestern uh, within the last couple months that tracked political polarization. And essentially, you know, you look at the polarization, the two political parties were pretty close, had some kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, little side note, you remember when, when we were in the political situation where our, all of our parents were like, well, man, Clinton's a great president, great statesman, but man, he cheated on his wife. You remember when that was like the worst political situation we could be in? Anyways, so essentially, you know, around year 2000 or the early 2000s, essentially right at the beginning of the data science era, the political parties with you know, hundreds of billions of data points started to crunch the data and they started to find out uh, outrage of the other guys uh, actually triggers the right behavior to get voters on our side, right? We don't wanna talk about the good things that we wanna do, we wanna talk about the bad things that they are trying to do and that actually generates more uh, action. That generates more action, right? So you see uh, starting in the 2000s, the gap just starts to open and open and open. And then we get to Trump, who even most people that vote for him just hate his guts, right? He's not, he's not a good person. I don't think anybody could make the argument that he's a good person, right? Um, and of course, you know, what makes it even worse is that all the political leadership on the, le on, on the left, like, they're not even doing their jobs. They're just 100% focused on trying to get Trump out of office, right? But essentially, you know, the, the whole political part, uh, polarization started with data science and started with, you know, people being able to find out that, and it's the same thing with social media, right? Uh, you know, uh, you, you generate more engagement in kind of anger or disgust of someone else's idea that you think is a bad idea. And, and yeah. kind of going back to that idea that like, you know, liberals are trying to destroy America. Like this is this, you know, if, if you, there's, you know, millions of, of articles titled with, with that very same thing. And it's just this, it's, it's a piece of right-wing propaganda that is very useful at manipulating people who are not intelligent or not informed enough to know that they're being manipulated to get on their side. So that's exactly what it is. And I hate, I, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're all, you're all just misinformed and you're morons and I'm smarter than you. So sit down and listen. <laughs> well, a little piece of history to substantiate <laughs> the uh, first part of that statement. <laughs> I think you guys all remember this probably from watching maybe Jordan Peterson videos, but uh, you know, George Orwell, uh, observed back in his kind of tour through Europe during World War One, I, I believe, or World War Two, just observing the reasons why people were going a little bit more, say, Marxist or a little bit more the other way, fascist. Uh, either way, he observed that people weren't so concerned necessarily about the poor, like in the Soviet Union, and like making everything equal. They were more concerned about bringing down 
the rich. And in the SARS case, that probably was the right thing to do because they had like 99% of the wealth. But it, well, that, you that makes sense so that's like essentially Russia. what you're saying, though, is that like people are more likely to act in either a revolutionary way or a little bit less, yeah. in our case, against another yeah. group. You're either voting against Trump. You actually you, believe in. Most people are voting against Trump or voting against Biden, right? They're not voting for Biden or for right. Trump, right? I think that's an unfortunate consequence of the fact that the past two election cycles have been mostly disappointing candidates on both sides. So it immediately becomes a party lines thing, like where your only justification is, well, I just can't let the other guy or the other group so like have the Umbridge and Lockhart so scenario. Is, is, is the party system broken? Hell yes, Spencer. Okay, so Don't they call you the iron of Cedar Hills? Are you going to live up to that title, Mr. Iron of Cedar Hills. All right. All right, Brian, let's Easy, let's man. calm down. Easy. I'm excited for those. Jeez. <laughs> no, so it's but what so at this point what do you do with that with the party system? What's a better what's a better solution? Well, so I, I think and the maybe, biggest maybe I'm jumping the gun and getting to solutions too early, but I'm yeah. just thinking about the party system itself. Like Well, I I don't think I it's it. I don't think it's necessarily the party system itself. That is a problem. I think that the party system could work. I think the biggest problem, and it's funny too, because essentially people are voting for the right or for the left based on what they say they're going to do, right? But did the camera just turn off? But political candidates, it's almost impossible to be voted into a national office as a member of the house or, or Senate or, you know, president or cabinet without pretty much becoming a slave to the oh. largest corporations who get you in office through their, their political backing. Right. So the, the campaign finance laws have created this system in which, um, you know, even the left, who is supposed to be the party of the little guy, right? They're never going to do what's in, you know, they're never going to create policy that's in not in the best interests of, of Chase and uh, Chase Bank and Bank of America and JP Morgan and all these companies. It's just not going to happen anymore because everyone's bought off and they can't even get to political office unless they're willing to be bought off. So, uh, and I think you, you know, I, th I think we could see that in the last, you know, the, the primaries for the, the uh, Democratic uh, Party, like who actually thought Biden was the best candidate? Like I thought Buttigieg and, and Tulsi Gabbard and, um, you know, so Andrew Yang. There were so many better yeah. candidates, but Tulsi and Andrew and, you know, th these candidates were not willing. I mean, they, they weren't willing to get bought off, you know, essentially. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's the biggest problem. One of the biggest problems is that, you know, there there's this there's this financial stranglehold where essentially, you know, our p elected officials are doing what the biggest companies want them to yeah, do. They're, they're not puppets. doing what's in the best interest of the people. Yankers. Um, so Thomas Sowell's theory of constrained and unconstrained theories of economics, right? Can you describe what that is? So that we can. Yeah. So it's actually it can be applied to things like economics. Thomas Sowell is an economist, um, but this actually comes from a book about that. He titled A Conflict of Visions and kind of broke down why certain political um, beliefs are found with each other. Um, and he kind of explains it um, with a constrained vision and an unconstrained vision. And the constrained vision is more of the man is flawed and what you hope to do with government or with any systems that you want to implement in society you are hoping to create systems that that can't be abused so man is essentially flawed the the description that he used was that or the one that he agreed to um was that mankind's nature is is flawed and fixed. I would I would say mostly fixed. Um, so you want to set up systems around mankind that will limit their ability to abuse take power, abuse power 
so that yeah, so that the human errors are not catastrophic because they've wielded massive power. Right. Um, so it's about creating systems that that balance that out. And then the unconstrained view is more or less that people are are kind of more blank blank slates, and that it's systems and leaders that directly impact the progression of people in any case. So he used, uh, there's a, a, a French philosopher, maybe Rousseau, who said man is free, but everywhere in chains, um, which he took to mean that like, what I already said, just that like you, that it's the institutions, it's the systems that are created that are wrong and that there has to be a perfect system that will make people uh, have the more ideal state of life. So before we move on and talk about those two options, do you think that there's a third or any sort of kind of um, – obviously, there's an in-between. One of the biggest issues everything. that I have with with almost the format of, of our own discussion, which is commonplace, is that we love to label things. And I think we are naturally triggered by somebody who claims a certain philosophy, and we think that – you have if you are Republican, then you have to agree with the full party. If you subscribe to the constrained vision, we don't like labels. That, yeah, yeah, that it's all well, no, well, we, should, we shouldn't have labels. We shouldn't. Yeah, that's what it is exactly. So we shouldn't have labels because even today we should have Republican and Democratic candidates that have maybe policies that are outside of what Republicans or Democrats would typically do, sure. and because but they can't do that as you explained earlier that you kind of have to get in, you know, align with the, play, the platform. The party's game. Exactly. So the partisanship is awful um, because we can't have a Democratic candidate who happens to have some Republican values because he'd be rejected by the party. He couldn't even get to the stage. And, I mean, we kind of have to take some of that credit or some of the blame there is just because we've enabled that behavior because we have allowed ourselves to be manipulated. And I, I, I'm sad. <laughs> I feel like in a lot of ways, the way that votes are currently acquired for both parties is is an insult to our humanity and our intelligence. Can I can I make a quick comment about so the the way that the theories and I could be way off, but the way that the unconstrained and the constrained theories uh, read to me is that typically conservatives more align with the unconstrained, which is kind of taking out our knowledge of human behavior what is kind of the ideal world that we would like to see um for example right the idea of i want to you know i want this country to be a place where someone who is you know born the poorest of the poor can become you know can can create his own company and, and become a billionaire right um which there's it's, it's called, you know, economic mobility or social mobility, right? So the idea on the conservative side is we want to be in a country where that is possible, right? Whereas I, I see more of the liberal side saying we agree with that too, but we're actually lower in economic mobility than every other major developed country in, in the developed world. So it's a beautiful idea, but we know what human behavior looks like based in the society that we're in, so we actually think that you know we should keep that idea, but actually we need to tweak and make changes based on the human behavior that actually is happening. It's, it's kind of the ought versus the is. I know that, you know, that I'm sure it's got flaws here and there, and I, I'm just gonna keep talking a little bit longer because I can see how cringy uh, Zach is getting. But that's, that's, that's my read between a lot of kind of the the conservative side versus the liberal side is you know in conversations with people i'm close to is the this is the way it ought to be versus but all these things are actually happening we know the results of what you think ought to be and it's not a good result you know should we try and change change the result of what is happening so all right do whatever you do zach so it's actually the exact opposite the ex the exact opposite you you just made an excellent description of more or less the constrained view, particularly as it, apply, as it applies to law, and hopefully this helps illustrate it. So there's also a video that I'm drawing on when I'm trying to share these ideas. You can look it up. It's an interview that was done with Thomas Sowell in the Hoover Institute at Stanford. It's like a 37-minute video where he actually um, applies the unconstrained and constrained visions to economics, to military, to law, and 
societal issues. So, um, along, so what you were saying specifically about what we know historically has happened, the constrained view of law is not based on logic, but on experience. Everything that we that has been it's interesting because I was thinking of like Jedi and Sith. That's the constrained view. That's the constrained view. Yeah. Okay. So it, the um, it's like the Jedi and the Sith, like all of the Jedi live in you. Our our present day law is you know a descendant from English law, um, and the Constitution itself is a document that is kind of um, corresponds with the Declaration of Independence, which was based off of all the offenses that the king had put on the Americans. So. We wrote up a constitution that was going to protect people from government that would abuse its power the way the king had done. So law is based on precedent. So we find out that certain things happen, and because of that experience, we start to make laws to counteract that, to, um, re to understand that, the, that man is fundamentally flawed and that we, we make mistakes. So how can we limit that um, on a public and social scale? insofar as it doesn't interfere with individualism. So that's a whole other, I guess, topic. And one thing that I think is interesting as a little sidebar, the term liberal is, is mostly misapplied to the left. Um, any country outside of the United States um, interprets the word liberal, again, yeah. ironically yeah. opposite. Yeah, we know. We're morons. No, no, We're no, not no. using the right labels, Zach. No, no, but I mean, I, th I think it is something that in some ways does hamper communication in the way that we understand politics both domestic and international and again side note not really important all right well, so the, don't use liberal or conservative use republican and democrat so what, Got what it. everything we're talking about we don't though, is an international it's a, it's a universal what we're talking about is universal thought it's not it doesn't have to do with america and how polarized we are it has to do with the philosophies of each individual on what will help society move to a more perfect Union. <laughs> uh, also, uh, there's an intellectual corridor that we could go down that I thought was really interesting in that same discussion that I've been talking about. Um, he In the, this book, uh, The Conflict of Visions, he talks about how you could compare the American Revolution with the French Revolution and that the American Revolution mostly represents the constrained vision um, and kind of what explains the formation of the Constitution and why it's built the way it is. And then the French Revolution was the unconstrained vision, which, frankly, I don't have a lot of familiarity with the French Revolution. Do you happen or anybody here? No, I would encourage you to look at I, that. I hear they have great wine. <laughs> so he, and he, a really he good a bike race. Of, he had a couple of funny stories where he noticed that in the French Revolution, they, they were pursuing a replacement of their aristocracy with a different aristocracy, which was the unconstrained view saying, if we had the right leaders, then everything would be better. So the uh, I don't I'm so the they, utopia. The they're, they're making decisions based on the utopia that they could see themselves. Yes, in. the potential um, instead of like you know historical what ha what's happened, what's what's worked, and I think that also kind of plays into the term conservative, meaning like you're sticking to what is known, you're sticking to what has worked, and then you know the more uh, progressive side is 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 you know maybe playing with ideas and trying to apply them maybe without you know historical backing it's it's a theoretical thing that kind of stuff um so a couple of things that i thought were interesting one kind of joke that he said dealing with um the the system of checks and balances was that apparently there was some uh, famous french guy who was in support of the french revolution and was confused by the americans concept of a, of the system of checks and balances and was in jail arbitrarily because there was no systems of checks and balances. So there's like an irony with that. Again, I don't have the details, but it's just interesting to see people explaining it in the context of these concepts. But more specifically, in the Supreme Court, he used this example that I think also helps illustrate it, in that we have, is it constitutionalist? The, the, actually, that's not the right term. Regardless, he talked about how at the time of this video, it was John McCain v. Obama in, in their presidential races. So he was using what either one of them were saying in terms of these topics to kind of say, is this unconstrained? Is this constrained? So the constrained version of selecting a Supreme Court justice would be somebody who will sustain the law as is, who will interpret the law as is. And at the time, Obama had made the remark that he's like, hey, if, if there's a, a single mother who you know gets under legal fire for whatever reason, and it's not like fair that he would support a judge who would make it fair. So 
um, I think they call it like legislating from the judgment seat or something where you're, you're not interpreting. And, and he gave examples of times when judge were, judges were critical of a certain litigant. And in the end, they ruled in favor of that litigant, even though they had personal issues with that person, meaning that they were more they were their job was to be a referee or an umpire. It wasn't about what was right. It was about what is the law saying and how can we enforce the rule of law? So it's not about what's fair, which I think has some contemporary application for what we've experienced to a degree of, you know, a, a Supreme Court ruling in favor of something that may not seem morally fair or, or just, but it is legally just. And Sowell actually has an entire other book that talks about the pursuit of cosmic justice and that comparison between cosmic and traditional justice. So but sorry, that's another side. So quick question. You agree, just a one word answer. You agree with Thomas Sowell on this the unconstrained and that's what I dislike about these conversations to a degree is right. you can I I lean lean I lean towards the that. constrained division okay yeah because the reason I ask is because I was talking to somebody earlier this week that disagrees with that premise of that there's unconstrained and constrained and like and so it, I I believe there is an actual truth as to why a lot of people, might be on that constrained side and a lot of people might be on the unconstrained whatever you want to call them that's semantics but you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. it, it a lot of people would disagree with that whole premise that it's not accurate that there's only those two camps but if we're using it as a as kind of a stepping stone or maybe a foundation to build upon how we got to a such a polarized place then can we all agree on the constrained or unconstrained, or is that is there a, a different way that we can say that? I think whatever exercise we would perform for trying to determine the efficacy of constrained and unconstrained visions, we could do the same thing with political parties, with the different sides of every argument, where there are, as Spencer said earlier in the discussion, like there are reasonable and rational arguments for both sides. Yeah, and it, coming back to, I think what Brian started us out with was with the religious side of I see everything that we're talking about in politics today as uh, as a theological problem, really, or not problem, where people are seeing this is this is mankind imperfect. We need to set up a system that that addresses the imperfection that will never change. And then another theological debate or another theological perspective would be mankind is evolving and becoming better or worse or whatever it might be, we are changing and hopefully we can adjust the system so that it evolves toward a utopia or you don't have to call it utopia, but something better and better. Um, so it, it does seem like a theology, and, and the more we drop religion, the more I can see that people would say, well, it's the government's uh, responsibility to, to make these things happen. But then, and we'll probably go ahead into this, there are some kind of more libertarian-leaning folk that would, that would suggest we can evolve and we can become better without government, and it doesn't matter your theological leanings. So I don't think, I don't think you can do that completely. I think you can do that more than we are right now, right? But there are all, there's a purpose for government, and it is to do the things that need to be done that do not make economic sense for a company to do it for a profit-seeking motive, right? Because that's the libertarian view, right? Um, all right, let me finish my damn comment, Zach. Okay. Okay. Remove any comment about the libertarian view. I'll bleep it. Um, Libertarians. No, I like what, what was the L word. What was I, like I saying before heading. I got derailed? What was I saying? So you were talking about how the purpose of government is right. to perform. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So here's an example, right? One of the recent examples of how conservatives think that liberals are trying to destroy the country is that conservatives say, oh, liberals want to privatize all vaccine production and um, ventilator production for COVID-19. Uh, so th that's kind of the argument, right? They're trying to privatize a lot of the healthcare production, right? And socialism means like the, you know, privatization of the means of production of, of whether it's, you know, 
automotive or, you know, pick your industry. Um, there is no incentive for a hospital network to have, m to prepare for a, a you know, a, a COVID-19 type scenario that has never happened before because it is seen as a cost in the private market that will likely never uh, recuperate that cost, right? So there are always going to be things that do not make sense to do in the private right. market for a, a you know, for-profit company to do, uh, regardless of whether it is the libertarian view or not, <laughs> I don't give a damn. <laughs> right, no, it, it, but it, what we're addressing here is what are, People differ on what they think the solution to problems are. I think for the most part, people agree on what the issues are and, and that we need to improve in a certain fashion. And that, that might be like a 70% margin. Most people agree on that. But when it comes to the solution, that's where we start splitting. Yeah. And I, that's what you're essentially saying. You had a thought, though, because I... No, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I don't know yeah. solution. Beyond that, beyond basically saying like. And oh, I, I now have a thought. Yeah. Hit it. <laughs> sorry. W one other element, and I don't know if this is necessarily a constrained or unconstrained comparison, but and again, I think I've become somewhat of a disciple of soul. But I mean, if this is nothing more than an example of. Um, somebody's political ideologies in flight that are subject to change in a short amount of time, let it be so. Um, one thing that he said was interesting was the constrained view is not to necessarily reach panacea um, or utopia because it's mankind is flawed. And we can't, we can't elevate every single soul like, cause we are also flawed by nature. So anything that we produce is going to be flawed. Therefore it is in our best interest to create systems that are harder to abuse um, because we, we can't do it all perfectly for everybody. To try to execute cosmic justice to level everything out perfectly and, and make, um, um, what's it called, restitution for any and every um, malady or social um, injustice. injustice towards anybody, it, 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 it's astronomical to try to factor in the fact that it's not just people within a single group who have one need of being... Uh, restitutive for one thing because each of them is made up of strengths and weaknesses and there is a balance of like what would what would balance the scales for each person individually it's it's, it's impossible to be managed and administered by by a team of humans even maybe even by a supercomputer to try to create some sort of arithmetic or algorithm to specifically outline like what would be the most appropriate justice for everybody who's ever experienced anything um so he, he more or less talks about just a simple concept of trade-offs. Like you accept that anytime you do anything to address social needs of any one group, large or small, it will have repercussions that will adversely affect some of the group. Most of the time. I don't think it's every time with every policy. There's always a trade-off. So the three most important questions for him was when considering a change or when considering any sort of a political policy, what cost does it come with? Where is the evidence to suggest that it's going to work? And how does it compare to what we have now? Mm. So a more pragmatic approach that is accepting of our imperfection and the resulting imperfect systems that can only be built imperfectly mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is something that he kind of talks about. And there's danger in jumping the gun to just experimenting with certain policies. In my, yes, in maybe both of our opinions, because you put a policy or a law into place, it's a little bit harder to revoke, retract that, when you could just consider all the details in those three questions really deeply and hopefully not demonize the other party uh, so you can actually get it done. Also, the way our political system is built as, as it pertains to the Constitution is you have senators who, oh no, uh, House of Representatives, people <laughs> yeah. who can serve for two years, right? President for four years, senators for six years. So the, some interpretations of the design of that constitution is that it 
it favors firm and long and long term political ideas. So not spur of the moment stuff. The executive branch is probably the most fast, cap fast moving, capable branch of government. But even then, they can't sustain their own interests without support from the legislative branch, like going to war. Like a president can send troops to places, but if he doesn't get like the backing of, of Congress, like that won't happen. Which is why I've always said, like, no matter who gets elected, it feels like the net impact on my life uh, is like. No none, none. Zero. Which, which I, is I, I by zero. design. I, I, I think which that I'm is. For. I think, and I got you know I'm I mentioned that on a social media post and someone kind of responded back and essentially said, that's because you're wealthy, right? <laughs> or or you have money and and it's I mean to some extent it's true. Like if I had if if my tax burden doubled, my life wouldn't change at all, you know. But little changes for. Uh, you know, single single moms without, you know, a college degree who are making $20,000 a year trying to, you know, support three kids. Like, you know, small legislation means a lot to to those those people. And, and you know, when I was thinking about this discussion earlier today, uh, in the state of Utah, uh, there was a, a tax addendum that the, the state government was trying to, to enact, which would increase the tax um by like you know two percent or something like that on groceries things purchased at grocery stores and um the governor herbert's response to that because you know it came out hey you know poor people already have an incentive to eat fast food right it's cheap it's it's there right it's super it's easy to get it doesn't require cooking this is even worse right this is encouraging them even more uh, to eat fast food, right? And, and the governor's response to that was, uh, but we're gonna have this tax, uh, this tax break so that when they file their taxes, then they're gonna get, you know, their tax bill is actually gonna go down. I, I see that as kind of the unconstrained view, like in the ideal world, right? They are going to actually decrease because we're gonna give their, their money back in tax breaks. But President Herbert or Governor Herbert knows <laughs> that people who are beneath the poverty line don't file taxes, right? So he's he's trying to you know he was trying to pass this as like, look, it's really it's not going to raise their taxes; it's going to raise everybody else's taxes, without actually knowing like what do they actually file their taxes? And the answer is no, so it's actually going to increase their tax burden. So I thought that was a a local example of. of kind of the, the discussion that we're having. It was really interesting. This is on CNN. Wolf Blitzer interviewing Nancy Pelosi. This might end up becoming a big deal. My brother-in-law sent this to me. I, I genuinely don't watch CNN or Fox or, you know, I don't watch, watch a lot of news. Um, so he, it's kind of interesting because, like, as soon as the interview starts, he just grills her because apparently the $1.8 trillion stimulus bill is on the table. And she's not moving it forward. More money, and, guys. And President Trump is saying, like, go big. You know, or go home like all in on the stimulus bill. Like he's wanting to push it. It's money that Wolf Blitzer argued was something that families needed. We need it now. And she was giving her responses, basically trying to justify, um, talking more. And people interpreted it as her being more interested in defying Trump than getting these funds to the American people. And so Wolf Blitzer was basically saying, like, these people need it. Like, why are you doing this? Like, can't you just move it forward? And and she says, you don't know the difference between the bill that we proposed is to this one, which is, I don't know what the difference is between right. the two. And there could be all those sneaky things where, like, money is getting put into random places where it really has nothing to do with us, which I think happened in the first stimulus bill. on a toilet seat. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, so she, but she continued to push back. And then as the interview kind of devolved into a lot of, like, Trump-Biden debate-esque type of an exchange, um, it, it got weird in the sense that she just repeated over and over again, like, we represent them, we represent them, we are feeding them, we are feeding them. And she's like, you don't care about the people, like, you're you're not supporting our cause or whatever. And he's like, I do care, like, I'm seeing these people, like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who's right or wrong, but it is interesting that, you know, she explained her point that way, but then also said, like, we represent them, we represent them, we are feeding them. 
which I don't know. I, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I already am not much of a statist, you know, type of a person. Um, and I'm already made that kind of more clear that I just feel like I don't, I don't feel like these federal people really know us. And what they say that right there, we represent them. We re represent them. We feed them. We feed them. I give it like a 95% probability that that came from a focus group of someone in Pelosi's. <laughs> so, and, and what I find on both sides of the political party, uh, you know, we had, when I worked at Qualtrics, we had Orrin Hatch, old, old man Hatch come and, and you could, you know, the, the Qualtrics employee base is super intelligent, right? And, and there were a couple times he was kind of bantering with one of the Qualtrics co-founders who's liberal and, and Orrin Hatch, he said, you know, I'm, I'm more conservative because I think that's more the, you know, the honest way. And he said conservative and honest three times within a couple words of each other. And you could just, you could just see, and everybody was kind of looking at each other. We're like, is, is everybody else feeling a little weird right now? And you could just see, you know, someone in, in uh, Orrin Hatch's office just say, okay, we did a focus group. People like honesty. Say conservative and honesty really close together a bunch of times, and you're likely to get X number of voters. Yeah, yeah. So, like so stuff like that, you know, Pelosi values. just saying, we represent them, we feed them, we feed them. I mean, it's, it's – I feel like the political debate – and, and those little lines by the political candidates are are designed to manipulate and direct kind of the the most man, uh, you know the, the, those that are easiest to be manipulated if that makes sense. But you know I, I do think it's interesting. Um, sorry, and I, I don't know if I'm derailing the conversation, but um, question. I have the preface to the question. Right. I have noticed that recently the the number of people who are dissatisfied with both political parties is growing. Does that trend continue and is that trend needed to essentially mm -hmm. get rid of the two party system? So let me So there is a, I'm trying to remember where I read this analogy, <clears throat> but like if you go and collect a hundred um, black African ants and put it in a jar, put them in a jar, and you go collect a hundred red ants and put them in a jar, they'll be fine. Like they're totally fine just being together. But if you pick up the jar and you shake it and then dump it out on the ground, they'll basically fight to the death. Like the black ants will pit against the red ants and just fight to the death. Now, I don't know if this, like, this pertains like directly to your question, but I feel like the party system is the hand shaking the jar. Because oftentimes, I, like, it when, when it starts with me, I'm fine having a conversation with a person whom I don't agree with. And come to find out, there are things about me that are totally you know democratic there are things about me that are republican there's things about me that are libertarian based on my stuff that i've read and watched from you know that you shared there are just i'm like equal parts of a lot of things and i'm fine to have that conversation but occasionally i, I just feel like the party system is picking up the jar of america <laughs> shaking it and then dumping us out and l watching us just eat each other alive. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it feels that way to me. So, uh, I don't know. Do you guys remember the show Divergent? Yes. Man, I hated that show. <laughs> like, I hate it. The main reason why is because I felt that it was like just an oversimplification of human nature. Right. I mean, OK, sorry. I shouldn't I don't want to act like I'm some kind of purist. Right. I, I watched all the movies and it was entertaining. So right. there's that. Um, but it was so it was like considered so revolutionary. There was like a line in the movie where in the movie people are divided into factions like Dauntless, um, Erudite. Um, can't remember the other ones, but it, but they all basically embodied like a very. Specific, um, trait. specific trait like dauntless was like bravery courage and like erudite was studied and intellectual and and then there was uh 
man, I can't remember the other ones. Calm and, uh, there was like charity whatever, was this yeah, essence yeah, yeah. of one, and then there was like the judging one, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and then there was like a line where the guy's like, "I want to be brave. I want to be smart, and like all those things." And you're like, "Yeah, like that's really how it is. Like we're not." We, we all are, you know, an amalgamation of all these different ideals. And these are also subject to change. Like, that is human nature. Mm-hmm. And we get so torqued off at like, these politicians that change their mind on some, right, some right. topics. And, like, the like greatest sin, <laughs> the greatest political sin is to be a flip-flopper. Yeah. Which, I mean, flip-flopper might be, you know, if you go leave it and come back or whatever. It's all debatable. But we act so surprised that, like, somebody is not principled if they don't just, like, hold fast with white knuckles around whatever principle they came in with, like it just we don't see that transition of people like going to different places, and also maybe that holding a position during a certain time period is more important. Like I don't think I'm a hardcore anarcho-capitalist libertarian, but the concept of reducing government significantly to me right now is a big deal, and I see it as a legitimate third party. Again, now I'm starting to get like all pitchy, um, but like really, it's on the ballot in all 50 states, including D.C. Like potentially is there a way that somehow in some crazy universe that like the American people could speak and it could mean something because we're putting other ideologies in, in play. Would it take some time? Yeah. And as long as our votes still count for something, then great. If they don't, we're f- <laughs> like, yeah. more bleeps. Like, hey, hey, and, did you and guys, would, at that point it would, the only option would be revolution, right? Have like, you guys, have you guys heard about the, uh, the Weinstein's, uh, Unity 2020 idea. No, I I, I can ex- I can I, explain that's as much it. as I've heard about it. So Unity to so the Eric and Brett Weinstein, smart some of the smartest guys in the world, right? PhDs in biology and and mathematics and um. I I don't know exactly which one of them came up with Unity 2020, but essentially their idea is to take a center right and center left uh, candidate have them run together on the same ticket, essentially flip a coin for who gets to be the president, who gets to be the vice president, but they make decisions together. And then every four years they switch, right? So the president becomes a vice president until one of them doesn't want to do it anymore or until they've both done two terms as president. So I like the idea. It's very unconstrained in, in that it's like this utopian idea high in the sky because we're still very much locked into the two party system. But if this, uh, dissatisfaction with both political parties ten- continues to grow. It's only a matter of time before a Mark Cuban type or an Oprah type or Dwayne the effing Rock Johnson type says, you know what, I'm going to run for president and I don't, you know, I don't have a political party. I'm going to vote for that person 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, I- but especially for Oprah. Because oh, she's a woman or, and she's uh, black. Or <laughs> Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, I guess. Not a woman. One of the vice- Not a woman. Yeah. Not I a think woman. I think there's also and what Brett Weinstein said most recently was that it's interesting how we kind of have this two dimensional view of political of the political spectrum. It's like left or right. But you don't realize that there's the other axis of political ideologies. Um, you can look up like the political compass. Uh, that's a website to do a test. Debatable, but again, it's just a way to explore your political leanings because it isn't just left or right. Because you can be more government left or right or less government left or right. And there was a, a video recently by Brett Weinstein specifically where he talked about like, hey, like the the left and right libertarian-sided people should consider themselves allies in the sense that they, they don't want like a super heavy-handed government or a super entrenched government. Um, they they don't have the same values because there are differences in like the right and left direction, but but they are still essentially agreed on a, a great many subjects and again, we just don't see it. Like when you only see two options, when the when the commission for the presidential debates is is a bipartisan group, like they have no interest in other people being able to talk about it. Right. And there's nobody to hold what both parties might both do wrong. I mean, if we if we were polarized, I'd feel better about a tertiary polarization instead of a binary polarization. That's a that's an additional third party for those who don't know the word tertiary. tertiary. You're so. You're so uh big words. Gosh, so you're so what's the right verbose. word I'm looking for? Verbose. You're you're, you're so elitist. Verbose. Using <laughs> large words, Zach. Well, so are, are there other solutions that you guys have discussed? One one that I I discussed with my roommates um was um shoot. 
now I'm forgetting that, but uh, rank choice voting. So that that's uh, another yeah. one yep. that yep. I I would see. You know, all all these solutions would really, if 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 it involves more than two people, would really calm down the discussion and the polarization because it's like, well, I like this person a little bit more than this person, but I really don't like this person. You and know, you, can you know why that's civil, never going to happen, though. Civil discourse. Yeah, I'm curious as to because it is human nature right and there's been so many so many experiments of this right it is human nature to act more on the potential of loss than on the potential of gain okay. does that make sense so, yeah use that in a scenario so you're on a game show you win ten thousand dollars you have the opportunity to go double or nothing because you've already earned the first ten thousand most people choose not to double or nothing because the potential of losing that 10,000 is much better than the gain of potentially getting 20,000. Or what so you we, said earlier, like where it's like so the Republicans saying that the Democrats are ruining the country, like instead of focusing on what great virtues a certain political leader has, like what you could gain by voting for this person, think about what you would lose by other sure. people voting for the opposing sure. candidate. But yeah, lo long story short, and, and you see this in the way President Trump is attacking mail-in ballots. Uh, he is scared that if we make voting easier, that he will lose, right? So there is this desire to maintain the status quo because the devil we know is better than the devil we don't. And if we make a change, that could potentially lead to, you know, it's just, it's it's this... It's always this thing of protecting what you've got. If I have to make a decision of, you know, keep what I've got or, you know, potentially get a little bit more but potentially lose everything I've got, I'm always just going to stay right where I am with everything I've got. Okay, so you're not saying like – you're saying to actually put into practice a ranked choice voting It's never going to happen because it won't both happen parties both would need to buy that. in. You're right. And they would be concerned – that I, I mean think of it this way right joe jorgensen right is that the libertarian how dare you That's so fine. say her name so let's say so let's say that well, um, i feel like that might be a misappropriation of a current issue and if that is true i genuinely apologize we'll bleep it we're gonna sorry, do a Brian. lot of bleeping this episode sorry, can Brian. i continue speaking now okay sorry. thank you sidebar have you seen the uh snl skit of the vp debate <laughs> No. I am speaking, okay? Oh. Hello, or, uh, uh, Kamala Harris. I am speaking. And to the people of Arizona and South Texas, estoy hablando. <laughs> um, damn it, Zach. I can't remember I'm sorry. what I was Honestly, I'm say. genuinely can sorry. Can you keep <sighs> speaking, Brian? So, rank choice voting. Thought, rank, yeah, it's never going to happen because... Happen. So, here, here's... I mean, here's the scenario, right? We, we get rank choice voting... Uh, let's say that that makes you know two candidates go into five candidates, right? Uh, in every single ballot, if I'm conservative, Trump is going to be number one, Biden's going to be number five, but Joe Jorgensen is probably going to be number two on every single one. Someone who's very non-confrontational, who very looks accurate. good to every party. So guess what I that think, means? I think it's the left have more well, to lose. The front. right have more to lose. That middle ground that doesn't have any power today, the Tea Partiers, the independents, the libertarians that have no power, they all gain, right? So it's never going to happen. But because the next both election, the, what would happen? I, I agree that it would well, be very hard to put it into law yeah. initially. It's, but yeah, the, but, but the, if it was put into law and, it, and that first election cycle, Maybe it would do. It it's going to. It's going to be in, that like the opens the door to independence. You know, an amazing. independent or libertarian or Tea I'm Party down. or, or you know, or something parent. like that. But it's just. It's never going to happen, because the left and the right have to both vote on it, and they I, have I'd more to lose than to gain. Right now. You have anything to say? Did you guys see the the political ads like the the little um, what are they called? <laughs> like the posters up. or whatever of um, there's a ah frick. Like in the Highland Alpine area, you, I don't know if it's still there, but like going up that road that passes um, on the 
uh, east side of Macy's, what used to be Kohler's and, and Ridley's, heading north, <laughs> there was Macy's. a bunch of, what are they called? Just like the... the, the Picket Yeah, the stuff that's on the signs. ground, whatever. Right, right. Man, don't know the words. Um, and it was like, it was like good boy 2020. It was a golden retriever. <laughs> and then it and then it was like a cat and and then it had it interestingly enough it had a bunch of like actual political stances and then it said email me at like meow meow 2020 <laughs> at gmail.com whoever you are out there if we if that oh. ever comes to light like i'm genuinely curious oh, what that uh, furry platform is well yeah well, we've solved the world's problems tonight so i but <laughs> what's the future what's i'm curious what's the future Unless you had a thought to finish up this stuff is going to stay the way it is. All I'm saying is that this conversation has been so boring for me and I've been a part of it. <laughs> it, it so I, if you don't listen to the whole thing, I don't blame you. But to summarize, Kamala Harris 2020. Essentially, that's who you're voting for. But no, I, I think it's a Keep people in prison. question to ask uh, what's our future look like if, if things are worse in regard to polarization right now than ever before and to many people that are getting it is getting worse uh, will we end up in a want to know what the future looks like observing coriantumer and shiz uh, scenario we're gonna live in ready player one where everybody everybody's in tries to avoid game. the crappy world that we live in we're gonna strap on our vr headsets Except for thursdays and that simulated world is so close to reality but yet it can be anything we want. We can be gods. We can fly. We can be like yeah. Dwight Schrute in that video oh, game that he played so and just it's fly good. around. And in the video game, he's still a paper salesman. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean, do systems, is my do systems fix it or does it do individuals fix it? Well, and, I, and I, I don't mental think it's, questions. it's, I don't honestly, think it's a, a matter of like one or the other in that it's regard. It's both, right? So, like, I, I do feel like that systems have helped us, but we are an evolving and progressing species that does want to, like, grow. I hope, I hope that the future doesn't, um, the future isn't rubble. You know what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. just rubble of the United States, and now we're debased, and we're, like, we're starting fresh again. I hope that individuals are capable of communicating better around politics, one, and two, that the systems themselves can, you know, find solutions in terms of the, the two-party system, because I think that is broken and needs some work, but I do believe in individuals. That's all I'm saying yeah. is I believe in, in the capability of the human spirit to conquer the idea that we have to fight about it. Mm -hmm. Because both sides have rational ideas. They're rational, smart, intelligent humans who believe the way they believe because they have the evidence to believe that way. And it's okay. And I just believe in the individual spirit, our ability to surpass you, what a classical liberal perspective. I appreciate <laughs> that. To, to your, your point about the diff, the, it's not just left and right. There's so many different matrices. Do you think there's a conservative out there who really likes Trump, who does believe in science when it comes to climate science, but doesn't believe in science in the fact that there's no difference between a man and a woman biologically? Does that person exist? Or does a liberal I, exist that denies climate science but accept or, or denies um science when it comes to but gender men and women this are the, the same of, of, of thought and this is what zach was talking about earlier which is it is the it is the biggest sin in politics to change your mind when right. it, when in reality that should be one that of should the, be the, the biggest virtue biggest or or to like is ideas really or to, or to like ideas that come from another party Correct. like nobody like it's very rare that you hear like Somebody right. pat in the back of something. We're like, oh, that was a great idea. Yeah. yeah, it goes against some of it. Like, and it shouldn't even be like it goes against. It's like I tend to not vote for those types of policies, but in this case, I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Like, how refreshing would it be to hear yeah, you a don't debate? Have to like, no, I totally agree choose it. You don't have to like, choose for, your color. Come on, just one time. I want to hear. No, I agree with that. But I don't. I don't um, want. I don't want a horse and pony show. Like, because I think that if if there was any traction, 
with people like genuinely being fed up and showing it through our the only way that we can, which is voting, that applying that pressure could prompt like you know, a sense of like remorse maybe <laughs> or some sort of correction, which honestly is fine if it's legitimate. But like again, I think the only way that you can affect change as, as citizens is that we just have to be we have to have sound sound principles about how we get our information how we how we come to conclusions and we should and how we communicate about those and and hopefully it matters enough to where we do understand that that there are lots of people out there who maybe uh, have opinions and 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 they have their reasons for it so let's open the dialogue the civil discourse like the the irony of of it being traditionally culturally explained that you don't talk um what is it? Politics and something else at the dinner table. Politics and religion. Yeah. Politics and religion, right? When in fact, like those are those are an exchange of ideas that matter the most to humans. Right. Instead, and all we gotta talk. So about what's is like, what's with this idea of restricting it? I mean, it ends. It can end ugly for sure. Like that's the way we are. We it tends to get ugly sometimes when we get triggered. Mm -hmm. But like, how about we keep flexing that muscle right. of restraint or constraint? Who, you know, who's read, who's <laughs> read a lot of uh, Jonathan Haidt? I like Jonathan Haidt a lot. I haven't read a lot, but yeah, so I've he, watched he, his videos. He gives the analogy of um, there are candles and there are fires, right? And he, I mean, he, I know his ideas are more on the left. His ideology is more on the left. However, he does say it's just unfortunate that the idea of the candle, if you blow on the candle, present an opposing view, you blow on the candle, the candle goes out. But a fire, you blow on a fire and it gets bigger and it gets stronger. And I think, and, and his mm -hmm. point is, individuals need to be fires, not candles. Our ability to communicate on the issues, we can't let somebody's opposing view blow us out, turn us off. I'm not going to communicate. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. You know, cancel that. The whole like cancel culture type thing. I just feel like people need to be. We need to be presented with a different differing views because it makes us stronger well not because it there's which takes there's us to our discussion on the social on. dilemma sorry like facebook's a cesspool but should we engage should we right, jump right, in right. and do our part yeah, like to just think, try to create some sort of balanced approach i think there's approach. more hope yeah, yeah. than oh, than i've often i've often considered oh we're screwed you know the future looks hope. bleak but i there is hope based you know like even today's responses on my post well like what characterizes a trump supporter at least half or more weren't tribal, I'm choosing this side, you're all wrong. A lot of them were very logical, reasonable, mm -hmm. and good-spirited, in good faith answers that were like, Trump supporters are good people, and maybe they're confused on this, this, or this. Yeah. You know? And I, th I think that is really cool, but it, it, I'm not sure if, there's a gen if it's a generational thing either. Yeah. I think there might be a little bit of that I'm a candle and I don't want to be blown out, so I'm gonna stay away from this, or I'm gonna just like ease uh, my way into the e yeah, ease my way in, or I'm gonna basically join like 600 other candles so that you can't blow <laughs> us all out, <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, I wanted to bring up a, something that my sister said, but it is kind of something on the side as to why people get defensive. Here, I'll I'll just say it is that she she. I can't remember where she came up with She had this whole like awesome discourse on it, which is interesting because my si my sister's she leans a little bit more left, but she's she's just a brilliant person. I don't know who knows her. You probably know her a little bit more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So <coughs> she essentially argues that why why p when when in an argument, be, be it religious, political, whatever, you you tend to believe that the other person is simply ignorant, that they don't know what they're talking about because they don't have all the facts, right? So then you explain the facts, and if they still hold to their position, well, at that point, they're, they're stupid. They just don't get it. So you explain it more and more. That sounds like everybody I've ever had a conversation with. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, let's get to the, th the last and final. Is that she <laughs> she she suggests that like yeah at that point they're they're stupid so you need to explain it more maybe in a more simple way, and if they still hold to their position after understanding it, then they're evil, you know. But I'm saying all this that's that's the kind of the standard progression when we're in a debate, particularly with 
very they want to destroy topics. America. They want to destroy. They're evil. You know, <laughs> Trump's the savior, and he will crush the serpent. Trump is the closest thing to a modern day prophet I've ever seen. Soon may the Wellman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue is done, we'll take our leave and go. She had not been two weeks from shore when down on her right away. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good rap. And a cut.